today we'll be talking to Tim Boyle, who's chairman of Columbia Sportswear. We'll be talking about just some general questions about the company itself and uh, maybe about uh, Tim's background, some of his family members, and uh, they produce everything from the finest uh, sports clothing that you can find to also chocolate and uh, one of my favorite subjects. And uh, with uh, that, uh, glad to see you again. Tim has Good been a, see Frank, yeah. a, a longtime friend of mine. We've probably mm -hmm. known each other for like almost 60 years, mm -hmm. uh, 50 yeah. years, yeah. I'm sure. Time has passed by so long. And I used to occasionally go out to uh, visit their uh, business when it was in a different part of Portland and uh, got a chance to meet Tim's father and uh, mother and uh, also grandmother and talk about the company at that time but so much water has gone under the St. John's Bridge that it's a whole different ball game it's a much bigger world and uh, I'd like to maybe start off with just a brief question about what year the company kind of started sure well um, my mother's parents immigrated from Nazi Germany in 1937 and my grandfather bought the business in 1938 and uh, it was called Rosenfeld Hat Company. It was a small business that that brought hats from factories in the East Coast of the United States here to Portland and distributed them. Uh, but he, having come, having come from Nazi Germany and being Jewish, he didn't want a Jewish sounding name so he named it what every business in Portland is named, which is Columbia. Well, that was a wonderful selection, <laughs> considering that then Amazon comes along 40 years later and decides that they'll take the river in South America. But <laughs> Columbia is a wonderful name. I agree. It's the, it's the biggest river that goes into the Pacific Ocean. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Yeah. On the entire northern southern hemisphere. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. So they named did they they named it then Columbia Sportswear. No, they actually called, it was named Columbia Hat Company. Columbia Hat Company. And okay. and all through the fifties, and even into the sixties, the the primary business was selling headwear, mm -hmm. men's mm -hmm. headwear. You know whether it be mm -hmm. dress hats or work hats or baseball caps or, and then, in the late fifties, men quit wearing hats. So. Mm -hmm they had to cast about to find some other product to make which or sell and so we tried to many different kinds of products but uh, we ended up settling on on fishing vests mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and that's it was a product my mother designed and your mother designed it because yeah. I, I wore it yeah <coughs> I remember, I remember this <coughs> the steel header fishing yeah. vest and uh, in fact, the Northwest Steelheaders kind of came on board in the 60s, too, and the Steelheader vest was perfect. And even 50 years later, I think I occasionally see people who are still wearing the original Columbia vest. It was made out of a, a really strong, was it duck cotton? Yeah, heavy canvas. Yeah, yeah. and that, that, I, I had one uh, friend of mine, I hate to say it, but a relative, that he was an egg fisherman, and uh, his... Got so crusty that he told me he could just put it in a corner and it would just stand there like almost a suit of armor. That that's you know things are a whole lot different now that we all fly fish. That's right, exactly. <laughs> well, now I first uh, 
I, I started our magazine in 1967, Salmon Trout Sea Letter, mm-hmm. and uh, I didn't know anything about advertising, uh, a little bit more maybe about writing and editing, and uh, but I was uh, amateur as far as a businessman. I was teaching at Central Catholic High School, teaching uh, freshmen and, and seniors political science and and uh, history and all of that when I started the magazine. So one of the first things I did was think, well, gee, you need advertisers for early for magazine advertising. And so I called up uh, Columbia and spoke to, uh, I don't know who answered the phone at the time, but said, gee, I'm starting a magazine on steelhead fishing. And uh, would you be interested in advertising your fishing vest in it? And so uh, I remember going out, out to your office in uh, St. John's mm-hmm. and I met with your father Neil mm-hmm. who had this uh, fabulous white hair and he uh, just kind of on the spur of the moment said Frank have you had lunch and I said no and he said how would you like to go up and get a hamburger and so we went up to I think it, is it North Lombard just yeah. up above and, and there was a little spot that he liked a kind of a, a restaurant and we had uh, hamburgers and I did that with him several times and he bought uh, a couple of uh, ads for the steelheader fishing vest and and that ad along with a couple others I sold in Portland was kind of the germination for you know salmon trout steelheader and it's just kind of interesting little story and it was at that time then I met your uh, very active mother uh, Gert and I think it was uh, probably the grandmother my, yeah, my mother's, my, my grandmother, my mother's mother, Marie. Your mother's mother was there, too. Yeah. And what was her name? Marie Lamfram. Marie, yeah. Sweet lady. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that was wonderful. That was wonderful. Well, now, you, I, I'd like to, uh, could, could you say a few words about your father? Because I only sure. got a chance to meet him a few times. Yeah, I mean, he was an incredibly uh, hardworking guy. He grew up in Beaver Falls, Pennsylvania, hmm. and my grandfather, his father, uh, worked in the steel mills there in in, um, in the Pittsburgh area. And then when the Depression hit, they everybody was out of work. Mm-hmm. He took the family west. They first went to San Diego, and then they ended up in Tucson, where my grandfather went to work in the Hughes Aircraft Factory. Hmm. And uh, my dad went wow. into the service and yeah. uh, met my mom after the war. And my mom always said uh, they met under a table at a fraternity party. <laughs> so, well, your father had a great personality and your mother, too. So they must have been a dynamic <laughs> duo. It was a match made in heaven. That's, so. that's great. <laughs> and, you know, one of my loves is uh, chocolate. And... Uh, to the point of making my own, you know. Oh, really? I didn't realize that. Okay. Yeah, I probably made like half a ton of chocolate, just pretty much basic ingredients, but trying different recipes that I kind of come up with. But now I believe that your sister has a chocolate company. She does. What is it? It's called Moonstruck. So I, I see the bars and buy them all the time at Fred Meyer, and they're widely <laughs> distributed. Yeah, they had, they, and they had a, at, at one time, a chain of a few stores. Now they just have just one or two stores but yeah that, that business has been quite good for them yeah chocolate I, I give uh, chocolate credit for getting me almost to the age of 80 
because I've done some bad things in my life, like smoke a pipe and smoke cigars occasionally. And I did a lot of studying on chocolate, which I loved anyway. And there were a lot of people that swore by the idea that uh, it has a tendency to improve blood circulation and give you a certain amount of longevity. So I, I'm a good customer. I'm going to have some later, if that's the case. Yeah. Was your was your father at, interested in you know anything like fishing or, or? Yeah, my dad. Really, the two things he did for relaxation were to fish and play golf. And he mm-hmm, mm-hmm. he didn't play much golf, but he fished quite a bit. You know, when he wasn't working, mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and unfortunately, you know, at at the he unfortunately died quite young at age forty seven in in nineteen seventy. It was a real tragedy, yeah. I remember. I remember attending the funeral in Lake Oswego, yep. and it was really one of the first times in a business career where somebody had died that, you know, I had met, mm-hmm. and it was uh, a real tragedy. Yeah, and he just, he worked all the time, so mm-hmm. he didn't have as much time to fish as he would have liked, but, um, yeah, I mean, it was... He didn't teach you how to put a worm on a hook or anything like well, that? Well, you know, I think I probably did learn how to put a worm on a hook from him, but I, <laughs> most of what our, what my early fishing was, um, we lived within a mile or so of the Willamette River, so I would go fish for carp and for yeah. crappies. And, uh, yeah, that's what I was doing too on the Milwaukee side. Yeah, yes. and then and we then. would fish together, surf fish for, for pogies. Well, I, I correct me if I'm wrong, but your mother, well, I might be jumping the story out of, uh, well, after your father passed away, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but, but I understand your mother asked you to come back and help her with the business? Well, yeah, I mean, my plan... Because you, you were at the University of Oregon. I, yeah, my dad died December of my senior year. So my plan was to go to law school right after, right after college, and um, frankly, I wouldn't have made a very good attorney. I wasn't a very good student, and uh, you know. It's I'm, a good thing I asked you the question because I've told people that you were thinking of being a journalist. No, well, but you actually, were thinking of law. Okay. <laughs> no, but I I studied journalism at, at the university. Oh, okay. And then. I came home and helped to run the business, and of course the business was tiny and got smaller mm-hmm. once I came to help. And so for a while it looked like the business was going to go out of business, and so my plan was to uh, was to start a newspaper. Mm-hmm. Really? To start yeah. a newspaper? Yeah. What? Something like Willamette Week? Or? Oh, I, you know, I, I think I, you know, my... During college, I had been an ad sales guy for the oh. Oregon Daily Emerald. Oh, sure. And then, I don't know if you remember a publication called uh, Oregon Sportsman, maybe? Yes. was based in Eugene. Yes, I do remember that. Okay, I'd so... I'd forgotten it until you just mentioned yeah. it, Oregon Sportsman. So I uh, was hired by the publisher, and I, I can't remember his name anymore, to be a reporter, so I would call the various... Um, Sunday, I'd go to the his office Sunday afternoon, call half a dozen, um, you know, 
uh, ODFW employees around the state. Oh, sure. What sure. was going on? I'd write sure, the art, I'd right. write that, and then the regional biologists. Yeah, and, exactly. Sure. And then I then he said, okay, well, okay, you got that down, and and then he would have the typeset at a local operation, and then he said, okay, you can lay out the paper. So I figured, well, yeah, I, so, I know exactly what I'm doing. So well, that's great. So uh, I figured, well, hell, if, if I could do reporting and I could lay out a paper, I could probably print it. And I don't know where, you know, I, yeah. I knew how to sell ads. So, yeah, so that's there you great. go. I was going to be the new, I was going to be the next, uh, um, you know, William. Don Holm or Tom McAllister. No, I was thinking more. Uh, Will Bill Hurst. William, William Howard Hurst. <laughs> <laughs> So your mother, when you came back to work in the company, if I recall right, she asked me if I would mind taking you out fly fishing. Yes. And do you kind of remember that? I remember. How, who could forget that first day? My first fishing trip, fly fishing trip, was with Frank. We drove, I think it must have been in your Volkswagen. Could to, have uh, been. I, I <laughs> to Warm Springs, and this was even prior to the Indian tribe requiring a specific license. I think we, yes, you could just drive there and yeah. fish. And uh, I think we camped actually. That, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so literally, my first cast, which I didn't really know how to cast, but I sort of flopped the lure out, the, the fly out, and bird grabbed it and flew straight up in the air. And Is that supposed to happen? So, it's amazing. Yeah, amazing. It's amazing. It doesn't happen more frequently. Yeah. Considering those swallows <coughs> and the way they are so agile, flying yeah. around, getting those insects. And, I, and it was it wasn't until you caught that swallow on the fly that I realized that those little swallows have kind of a sticky mucus that's right on the edge of their mouth, and they're actually going out there and kind of. The, the bugs are sticking to that. And of course, the bugs are so small. Yeah. And uh, I was shocked, <laughs> but that's kind of they have a sticky to you know to attach onto the bug. Yeah, that was great. Uh, we caught fish, and I remember because uh, I hadn't caught a fish all day. I'd caught a bird, not a fish. And uh, I think either you or Bill Bucky had to go catch me a fish. Could have been Bucky. He was a, he was a really good fisherman. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> and uh, so we cooked. We each had one trout. Was, yeah. I I took my wife up there before I married her. You know, as a test, does she like the fish? <laughs> so I put a fly rod mm -hmm. in her hand, and uh, I had a little black used uh, MG at the time. This was about nineteen, uh, probably nineteen sixty one or so. And uh, the Warner Springs Indian Reservation, same exact place we went. And uh, I warranted her down the path, and I said, you know, this is how you cast a fly. And she actually ended up catching the largest fish, which was a 13-incher. There were smaller fish then because everybody was harvesting them. Uh -huh. And so, and I hooked a couple, and so that was great. Had a good time. So we go back up to the little car. She hopped inside, and I was fooling around with a rod, taking it down. And the Indian patrolman came by for the uh, reservation, and he said, uh, can I see your license? And I started talking to the guy uh, about how, uh, you know, he asked how we'd done, and I said, well, uh, you know, I hooked a couple, and Gil inside didn't realize it was an officer. And she said, Frank, tell him how many I caught. 
you know, and she didn't have the warm strings for me yet. So I reached in there, not knowing her hardly at all, and I said, shut up! But as quietly, but with as mean a face as I could possibly. You know, see, <laughs> but we didn't get tagged. <laughs> uh, that's good. Well, you know, I caught another bird. Did you? I caught a bird at Palmyra Atoll, which is uh, wow, some in the Pacific, about <laughs> a thousand miles south of Honolulu. Well, well, and I was fishing. <laughs> the guide said, "Don't get more than ten feet away from me." <laughs> so I'm casting, and on my back cast, I hook one of these huge. I'm trying to remember the name of the birds, but the wingspan was not a frigate bird. It could have been a frigate. Yeah, it was a big. Bird. I hooked it right in the elbow, <laughs> and so this bird is going like crazy, and. <laughs> Then all the frigates in the whole neighborhood started, oh, yeah, they'd all started come together. coming together, and um, <laughs> I look around for the guide. He's 200 yards away. So I, well, okay. So I, I tried to pull it out. Of it. So I pulled it all the way down, got the bird in the water, and then I've, I've since, since done a lot of bird hunting, mm -hmm. ducks and everything. So I figured, well, yeah. I'm used to being around Birds, birds, I could probably so get a run. So, I quickly unhooked the bird and it flew away. But yeah, that was that's great. It was frig I could see what a cartoon that was made with you playing that <laughs> and all these black birds hovering around up there. Pretty ominous. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's great. So I'm pretty good at catching birds. Well, well, do you have favorite hobbies other than uh, for maybe occasional fishing? And I understand you're a serious duck hunter. I, I, we have our class reunions for Central out at John Cheney. He has a duck club, I, yep. you know, and, right. and uh, I'm always out there thinking, wow, you know, this is what paradise looks like, the green and the trees, and it's wonderful <laughs> in August. But uh, the ducks come in then, and do you hunt for them through the wintertime? Yeah, so the duck season in Oregon starts about the first 10 days or so of October and goes all the way through January. So, have you ever had any really unusual experiences while you've been hunting for the ducks, like unusual species, or <laughs> um, not so much because it's um, the it's a, it's really a weather. I see weather driven. Um, occasionally, you can have flights of birds that would that are in the area, sort of absent weather. But the best duck hunting is when the weather is really nasty and. And, uh, kind of one same way with for steelhead fishing. Yeah, yeah. You know, nasty as long as it isn't raining, but yeah, it's well, nice it's and windy. Windy and, and blowing, yeah, and, and, and rain is okay too. But that's um, I'm just trying to think whether I've had and I've I've done quite a bit of hunting, mm -hmm. not only for ducks but dove and um, and other birds. And mm -hmm. uh, I guess maybe the most interesting thing I our our distributor in Greece, really interesting guy who um, he was on three Greek Olympic teams in <laughs> international skeet shooting. So he invited me to, to go to Macedonia oh, wow. and hunt doves. Wow. And um, we hunted in these fields of uh, sunflowers, which must have been <laughs> 100,000 acres or something. Uh, it just, uh, as far as you could see, we'd, were, were sunflowers and shot doves and we lived in a gas we stayed in a gas station 
Well, the more. <laughs> well, is that somewhat similar to the way they hunt doves in like Argentina and Spain or? or yeah, they weren't they weren't as prolific as the as the Argentinian hunting. I I think I shot a thousand doves in in two hunts in in Argentina, yeah. but it wasn't that much. But certainly, yeah, you know, that's... plenty of targets. We were kind of curious how in 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 the realm of business. What do you think were the strongest assets you brought to the business when you came to kind of help out and work and kind of find your way along? Well, I think, um, you know, I had maybe some small amount of creativity to be coming up with interesting products, but more importantly, as it relates strictly to the businesses, you, you may have a good idea, but you have to be able to, to sell it and if you're going to sell it, it's always better if it actually people want to buy that. So I was always pretty good at getting criticism about products that we had made and taking criticism and improving the product. So that's well. I remember it seemed like you were very involved in an awful lot of the shows, and and you traveled a lot. Yep. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. was a key. Because we make such a wide variety of products, we have to talk about a broad range of descriptors that would identify a Columbia product. And so, we over the course of a number of years, we came up with what we call our five key words, which are um, outdoor. We make products for outdoor use. We're an authentic brand. We're not. Um, we're not Ralph Lauren for the outdoors. Um, we make stuff for active use. Um, we make stuff of high value. That doesn't mean the merchandise is inexpensive or cheap. It means that what you pay, you're going to get great value in the products that you have from us. And the last one is American, because you know we over. In the, we have had years, and most recently in 2019, where our sales were about 40% outside the U.S. And wow. when you think about well. why would somebody in Italy buy a product designed in Portland mm. or in India or mm. China, and mm. it's really because America means so much and has over the years about the outdoors and about you know, freedom and mm -hmm. just the whole mm -hmm. the whole thing. Then. Yeah. So that's that's those are the words we use to mm -hmm. keep us focused. Mm -hmm. Well, you do have a shoe brand too, don't you? We actually have uh, several brands. We have the Sorel brand. Sorel. Yeah. We have a brand called Mountain Hardware, which is a high-end alpinist brand, mm -hmm. and then a basically a yoga slash California lifestyle apparel brand called Prana. Prana, okay. When it comes to like determining product lines and products, do you get like half the ideas from customers and and like your salesman and, and the other half the ideas you think about or how do ideas occur? Well, you know, I... I am not as involved in the product, unfortunately, as mm -hmm. I once was. Mm -hmm. That was, 
what I really enjoyed, and so I don't get a chance to spend much time with the product, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. But we have a team of people whose job it is to to look at the, the landscape and come up with the white space mm -hmm. and areas where we can be mm -hmm. truly differentiated. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that's, they get all the fun, but it's, it's about looking at where we think we have an opportunity and a, and a point of differentiation. Well, it's amazing sitting in in this room and looking at all of, I guess, the samples and the colors and the patterns and how many, I don't know if you'd call them SKUs or like 100,000? No, yeah. it's about 36,000. 36,000. But every single yeah. one of them is, the company would go bankrupt if we didn't have every single one of them. Yeah. I mean, the year that my dad died, the company was doing a million dollars in volume. Would that have been like 72 or? No, it was 1970, December it, of 70. It was December of 70 then. And in 1971, the volume was a half a million. Okay. And then things got bad because my dad had just taken out a loan from the SBA. Mm -hmm. uh, and the bank finally in 1974, 75 called our note and said, you know, you guys are going bankrupt. You don't mm -hmm. really know what you're doing, which was totally accurate. And um, so we... We tried to sell the business. We couldn't find any buyers, and the banker said, "Okay, I'll give you a few more months to turn this around. Otherwise, we'll have to liquidate." And what you really need is a is a, a business advisory group, some people who would be willing to help you understand how to do business. And he said, "We just loaned some money to some guys starting a shoe business out in Beaver." Maybe I can get one of these guys from this shoe company. <laughs> really? A shoe company in Beaverton? Hmm. Yeah, so we had one of the early Nike employees come on a board no of advisors. Kidding. Yeah, And said, you know. How fortunate. Yeah. Wow. So that's how we we were started focusing on the product and on marketing and, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then less time on stuff yeah, that just so didn't matter. Yeah, so you were kind of mentored by... Uh, by Nike. Yeah. That's really neat. That's neat. You've been a, a great uh, uh, helper to nonprofit organizations, whether they be schools or other types of organizations, but uh, <coughs> has that uh, uh, <coughs> worked out well for you? or do you Well, um, I'm I'm better at getting noticed than I am at being effective at solving problems. <laughs> <laughs> so, so people put a target. Well, no, it's time, not so, so much. I don't mind being critical, but it would be really good if I was critical and then the city would do something about it or the, the state or, frankly, for that matter, the federal government. Yeah, it seems like, you know, I don't know, we won't talk about politics much, but <clears throat> it seems like, uh, <clears throat> in my estimation, that the city of Portland could be more aggressive in how it uh, <coughs> encourages people to act. And uh, it seems like there's, uh, I don't know, it, it just uh, seems uh, kind of like we have an immature uh, city government. Yeah, I think that's accurate. And, you know, it's, um, I think the current mayor is a very smart person and well-intentioned. Um, mm -hmm. I think his staff is not as well directed as they could be and frankly are not as good as they could be. <clears throat> I think back about uh, 
you remember, of course, Governor Tom McCall. Sure. And he did such great things for Oregon. And Straub was really a strong governor, and uh, Tia was a really good, mm -hmm. strong governor. But it seems like, uh, yeah, either the state's gotten too big and too hard to handle, or... Uh, yeah, I, I think it's... Um, I guess you would even say, you know, politics, um, it's very difficult, mm -hmm. and there aren't really very many people who are good at it. And then when you take people who are well-intentioned, and, and frankly, it's a difficult job, but then... Mm -hmm. Then you add the stress of a of a serious problem, and then it mm -hmm. it really shows who is mm -hmm. capable and, and who's incapable. Mm -hmm. and, uh, so yeah, there's just they, not enough capable people. That's a hard job, and, and it, it, you it, get no thanks, really. Yeah, yeah. just get the bricks thrown at you yeah. <laughs> oftentimes. <laughs> Being the uh, head of a large company and with all of the communication that goes on. Are there any, have you ever had any really hilarious moments? I mean, you've probably had quite a few, but it's hard to even ask this question. Don't worry about not answering. No, I mean, I could, uh, you know, I um, I sometimes am a bit flip in responses. Mm -hmm. And I was invited to speak to a, a group called the Power Breakfast. It was put on by the... Portland Business Journal, mm -hmm. and this was when they just started the Portland, Portland Business Journal, so the, the amount of people in the audience was small, call it less than 100, mm -hmm. um, and the, the guy interviewed me, which was fun, and then um, they asked for questions from the audience, mm -hmm. and someone asked me, okay, you travel to Asia a lot, could you tell me which political figure in Asia that you uh, really admire. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I said, I, I don't think much of the Dalai Lama. And then the guy got completely upset. Why don't you like the Dalai Lama? Well, <laughs> I was kidding. I didn't <laughs> well, and, and just like that. Oh, he got so worked up. The Dalai Lama said, I, look, I don't even know the Dalai Lama. I was the only person I knew in Asia. Just yeah, so that <laughs> came back just in a weird way then. Yeah. Yeah, he so said the Dalai Lama, and most people wouldn't care. You know, wouldn't mind. Yeah, I mean, it was just it was the raw nerve. It was, well, it was. I learned from that not to be joking about the Dalai Lama. <laughs> well, from a personal level, what was it like to go to Jesuit? You went to Jesuit High I School. I went to Central Catholic. Yeah, we both went to parochial, mm -hmm. all boys school yep. at the time. And did you enjoy your experience at Jesuit? Or? I I had a terrific time. Um, I was a very poor student. You know, I don't know if, if it was the same at Central, but a Jesuit, you were assigned to either the A, B, C, or D room. That's the same at Central. Based on your entrance exam. Yeah. So I was in I was a, a low C, yeah. and I stayed there because I, you know, I just had a great time, and but I. Um, after graduating, I went to the University of Oregon, and um, I took an English class, and the professor 
um, you know, gave everybody an assignment, you know, write write a mm-hmm. article, mm-hmm. Uh, write a story or something. So I wrote the story of Romulus and Remus. Oh, wow, the founding of Rome. Yeah, and turned it in. And then the, the next day the, the professor said, okay, I'm going to read... Um, an article by a professional author and one by somebody in this room. Uh, and you guys have to pick out which is which. Wow. And so he read my article about wow. Romulus and Ramus, and somebody stood up in the back of the room and said, that's impossible. Nobody knows that stuff. That's, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> that's incredible. Yeah. So. I, I, at Central, we were ranked also according to, you know, the test. And so we, I was, we must have been in the A room. No, I was like maybe C or B minus. Yeah, I always had to work at it. The only time I got A's was when I was in uh, getting my master's degree, and I got straight A's. But it was a history; it was all European huh. history, and what I was interested in. Otherwise, you know, I flunked religion at University of Portland. I flunked uh, psychology at University of Portland. I had to take those courses over. Very embarrassing, but uh, you know, live and learn. Yeah, I don't think I got an A ever at Jesuit. So they graded pretty yeah. strict. Well, I probably yeah. didn't deserve it. I'm, I'm shocked if I ever got a B. But I did get a number of Fs at the University of Oregon. In fact, my favorite class freshman year was American Novel. And we huh. read uh-huh. half a dozen classic uh-huh. novels. <laughs> and I took out my, my grades at the end of the term, and I got an F. So I went to the professor. I said... This is my favorite class. Are you kidding me? I love all these things. He goes, oh, I knew you knew the material. I couldn't read your handwriting. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> well, you know, you talk about your duck hunting and talking about grades. When I was at the University of Portland, I had a fellow who was a friend of mine. He liked to hunt for ducks. So he said, Frank, you know, I know you don't hunt, but why don't you come with me? Because we're going to go someplace we're going to hunt ducks the next day. I said, well, I have to take a psychology test. He said, oh. And it was the end of the semester. He said, ah, don't worry about it. She'll let you take it later. Well, she didn't let me take it later. She gave me an F, and I had to repeat the course, all because my friend wanted to go hunt for ducks. <laughs> but well, anyway. it was worth it. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was worth it. <laughs> yeah, Tim, we've been kind of talking about the history of the company and and uh, your relationship and how you kind of helped uh, helped it along and grew it. And what what do you see for the future? Well, you know, we, we've always considered ourselves a growing, a growth company, and so that will hopefully continue. Um, both of my kids are working here uh, at the company, and um, hopefully, there's an opportunity for them to continue to grow the business. And they're they're much more adept than I am, so <laughs> the prospects are bright. Yeah, it seems like uh, the kids are, aren't they? brighter than us. Yeah, yeah. Well, it wasn't difficult in my... Since I was in the C room yeah. at Jesuit, it was it was not difficult to be better than me. Well, I was always a liberal arts guy. Close enough is good enough. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that might work for some things, like a fly cast maybe, but it doesn't work for business. So you got to be right on. So, Great. Okay. Super. Great. Thanks. Wonder, Great seeing you again, Frank. Yeah, that, this, is, this is fantastic.